Hello and welcome to the Agony Cast, where we are improving culture through friendly competition. This week's contestants are... Lars, my wife tells me that my laughter doesn't sound very natural in this show, so I'll be trying out new forms of my laughter throughout. <laughs> She's right. Uh, Nathaniel, a rejected garbage pill kid. <laughs> and I'm Jeremy, a.k.a. the Gordon Lightfoot Strangler. Oh ho! A common misconception that I'm actually trying to strangle Gordon Lightfoot and have been failing for decades. Or that I've been doing it progressively over the years. Just a couple of jokes every once in a while. You know his tailor? Does that mean you're dressed up as Gordon Lightfoot as you strangle people? It's more along those lines, yes. I'm strangling hobos in a Gordon Lightfoot you know, thematic way. If you could read my hands... Uh, chokeable, the neck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, we're back. Yep. So, uh, long-time listeners will know how we do. Uh, we start with the two-minute win it round. Two minutes, minute. Wherein each one of us will have an uninterrupted two minutes to respond to a previously determined stem, which was, let's see, uh, what funny person is consistently in unfunny movies? Hmm, it's a real thinker. Uh, Lars, it looks like you're starting us off, so take it away. Steve Martin. What happened, Steve? Jesus, what the hell happened? I watched the Pink Panther. I felt like I was being molested. That's not funny, but I couldn't stop myself from laughing. The Pink Panther 2. I weep for the world. 30 Rock, fine. SNL, fine. And I assumed that the film It's Complicated was less off-puttingly Byzantine than the title suggested. But you have fallen. The last unabashedly good movie you were in was Bowfinger in 1999. And if we're being honest with ourselves, the last good movie before that was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in 1988. Listen, I grew up with My Blue Heaven, and Sergeant Bilko was great when a rare strain of influenza caused me to basically trip balls for 24 hours in the fall of 1996. In the past, you seem to have been driven, Steve, by the twin horses of pure rage and desire for affection. I can only assume that desire for affection broke its leg and had to be shot. Or, perhaps rage was caught in a bear trap, and it's only the desire for affection that animates your husk of a body peeking out dimly from your dead shark's eyes. Either way, Steve Martin, you are now a mild and mediocre guy. I see the rest of my time. <laughs> I await your reply. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I concur with your assessment. Um, so let's see. You, you named a few there. What are some actually funny movies of his? The Jerk. Yeah, The Jerk. Definitely. You, you know what? I mean, I'm, is his issue kind of, as we see with so many, a sort of arc where he was doing funnier stuff earlier, it seemed, and then tapered off? I mean, you think that's what's happened? Or? Yeah, that's my sense. I mean, I think that, um, 
you know, the people who have, I, I think the great comparisons are, well, Martin Short, Chevy Chase, and uh, Bill Murray, right? And I think mm-hmm. Bill Murray found a kind of an artistic space. And I think, because there's an inter- interesting interview, I think it was the guy who played Burkrot in Groundhog, or no, Groundhog Day, in, um, in Caddyshack. And he said that um, on set, Murray was a real dick, but Chevy Chase was really nice and wonderful. But it seems like over time, Murray found himself and became more comfortable doing, you know, maybe had more autonomy. Chevy Chase just drifted further from that SNL persona that served him so well. Hmm. And, and is apparently now a huge dick to work with. Yeah. Yeah, although I take all those dick comments with a grain of salt. I mean, you know, it's it's their job. Leave them alone, people. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> I guess you don't have to be nice. Mm-hmm. What has Steve Martin been in recently? Did you consult his IMDb page? Yeah, he was in that I'm movie. I'm assuming you have it pulled up right now. <laughs> no, I was in that, he was in that movie Home. Did you guys see that? That was supposed to be okay. The alien no. Pixar-ish movie. Um, and then he's going to be in slash is in Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk or whatever that's called about soldiers and stuff. But uh, yeah, that sounds I mean, like a real gut buster. Yeah, the two most embarrassing ones I think are the um, are the Pink Panther series. I mean, it's just it wasn't even close. But I don't know. I mean, even as an homage to Sellers, it just didn't. You know, it was just embarrassing. But I think that, yeah, I think about it like with Austin Powers. You know, it's that way with two, if only because Beyonce was in the sequel. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand any of those <laughs> statements. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anything else about? Uh... Steve Martin. I enjoyed Roxanne. Oh, Roxanne. That's a good one. Yeah, like Roxanne. That was charming. I mean, I'm assuming The Lonely Guy and The Man with Two Brains, these are movies I've only seen briefly, if at all. I'm assuming they're okay. I mean, the he had a real energy at the beginning. Shop Girl's good. It's not just not funny. I mean, he wrote it. Right. But, you know, I, I, I my sense is that a lot of comedians are pushed to perform because they want affection, and then eventually that they get enough affection, they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm good now, but mm-hmm. this is my whole life, so... Three amigos. Yeah. yeah, three amigos. Three amigos. This may be a theme we return to. All right. Okay. Well, I guess it's uh, time to punt this basketball over to Nathaniel. <laughs> uh, so I picked Alec Baldwin. Um, although I took not funny to not necessarily mean movies that ended up not being funny, um, but Alec Baldwin's actually in a surprisingly few number of comedies um, as mm. a film actor. So other than. 30 Rock and a few others, he's in largely dramatic roles. And so treating dramas as films that were not funny, despite the fact that Alec Baldwin is very funny um, on things like 30 Rock, his various appearances on SNL, including his now um, instant classic status impression of Donald Mm. Trump. Um, Also the fact that he apparently fell down really hilariously over Thanksgiving break. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Classic. According to the according to the Huff- Huffington Post, of which he is a sometimes columnist. Right. That's right. Um, but yeah, so not not in a lot of funny movies, but a very funny uh, individual who does funny things around um, his career. So he's in an episode of Comedians in Cars getting coffee with. Um, I was going to mention that with uh, mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Um, his voicemail work, of course, is legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, referring to his daughter as a little pig, mm-hmm. I thought was was very funny. Also quaint in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was stalked for a while. That's pretty funny. Um, By whom? A French Canadian actress, apparently. Hmm. So, no, not Melanie Griffith. No, or rather, or, or <laughs> what's her name? Or rather, 
Um, Vicky, Vicky. I mean, Bell. his political views are hysterical and mm-hmm. hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, not as funny as his yeah. brother Stephen. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, there's also there also is on Twitter very funny exchanges between the Baldwin brothers about Trump um, that I'd highly recommend. When the Baldwins fight, it's actually quite funny. Um, which is something that was that was more or less made a deal of on Thirty Rock, as in several episodes of Thirty Rock, you meet um, Jack Donahue's family, and they are quite obnoxious and fighting all the time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the earliest time when he was funny. You know, like really funny. Did you ever see um, Miami Blues? He's pretty yeah. funny in that. Yeah, movie. yeah. Some moments to hunt for throughout October, I guess. No, he's always been. He's, he does. He's very charming. Um. But he's got a charisma you can't deny. Yeah, but he also just seems to be uh, just like funny in a very um, thoughtful, sophisticated sort of way. Like when he's when he's doing something, you always get the sense that he knows precisely what he's up to when he's doing it. Yeah, well, that's a great point. And also a notorious dick. Sure. Right. Well, and there, I mean, see, the the thing with Chevy Chase, I think, is that it's people are unanimous in their assertion that he is a difficult person, even under the best circumstances. But it feels like Alec Baldwin gets kind of a mixed bag of reviews. Am I wrong on that? I think you're right. I think people like him right up until the time he gets pushy <laughs> and starts right. slugging folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think everybody likes him until he punches a photographer. <laughs> And then everybody still likes him, but not the photographer. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, Whoopi Goldberg praised Baldwin for his actions <laughs> in in punching a reporter when he was married to Kim, when he was married to Kim Basinger and calling his daughter a pig. She liked that too. <laughs> I believe that was the same daughter. How dare you take a picture of my daughter, whom I later going to call a pig for not for, for ironically enough not having to not, not wanting to have anything to do with me. Yeah, how dare you take a picture of my daughter with her this voicemail in which I call her a pig will go a long way to healing the rift between the two of us. <laughs> hmm. Never put down anything on a record. Yeah, that's right. Never. No. Wait a second. Is this being recorded? <laughs> <laughs> no one listens to this. Don't worry. That's what, true. What, what, why do we get all that mail from Malaysia? Yeah. I'm assuming mm. that's where our fans are. Yes. That's where the uh, click farm is located. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that's why that's why we had to scrounge together money to get the upgrade of Zencaster because our budget is just all going to the click farm. Baldwin is an interesting choice. Um, you know, I, I read a kind of an interesting interview with him um, where he does come off as kind of, uh, you know, I mean, he's clearly paid his dues and, and had a, has had a fine career, but it always seems a little, I don't know if whiny is the correct word, but um, entitled in a certain way. Um you know, he was talking about how uh, envious he was of Leo DiCaprio's career and this and that. And one of his brothers, in fact, said, you know, no, no matter what good happens to him, he'll find a way to piss on it, which which seemed to come off in this interview. Oh, and he does have his own podcast, which is great because it's an interview show, but it's really just about Alec Baldwin interviewing people. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah, I finally that. listened to that. I liked the, the Michael Douglas, which I think was like the first one, right? Um I don't know. Here's the thing. And then it went on hiatus for a while during one of his legal scrapes. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, there's something else with Baldwin. Um, no, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll pause for a second while I blow my nose. (laughs) Is there a, is there a cough button you can hit? Yeah. Yeah. But I needed to tell you guys that that's what was happening. Okay. Good. We would have, we would have gone with you. Done this journey. This is what the, uh, 
listening public wants anyway. Mm-hmm. Sons of bitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, oh, so oh, I'll... Oh, uh, quick, quick, quick. Here is what it was. Alec Baldwin was in an interview right after he was in Fun with Dick and Jane, I think, with Jim Carrey. And he, he was, like, really upset by how some actors can just be almost uh, masturbatory and how they need to be, like... Uh, you know, flattered by a director before they're ready to actually perform. And uh, he'd literally just, just wrapped on fun with Dick and Jane. Like there's nobody else he could be talking about other than Jim Carrey. And so the interviewer goes, Hey, are you talking about Jim Carrey? And he goes, Oh no, Jim's great. (laughs) (laughs) Really great. This is apropos of nothing. I'm talking about other film experiences. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, if there's nothing else from any of the Baldwins, what are there four of those? Five. We Good tried Christ. to name. I think there's just the. We, we've the always had, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of airtime. <laughs> I'm also, also not knowing this. I want it unresolved. There's also two Baldwin sisters. Oh my god. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh man, come on. <laughs> that was convincing. All right, well, I'll take it. Uh, I'll take it from here, and and uh, I don't know. Drive into the fucking bridge embankment. Uh, okay, so uh, my response to this, I think it might be a tad controversial, maybe in a little bit of bad taste. I can't tell anymore, but I think it has purchase. So my answer here is Robin Williams. Now, I got some laughs from Bicentennial Man and Portrait of a White Marriage like everyone else, but come on. <laughs> Honestly, I'm tempted to say that right there is my full answer, because fuck this year, fuck this question, <laughs> fuck this whole thing. <laughs> um, But let's actually just uh, give this its due. So I have a question for you chaps, uh, because I think this is more diagnostic than demonstrative. Tell me, what Robin Williams movies do you find genuinely funny? None of them. Mrs. Doubtfire? Uh, I knew that was going to come up. What is funny about Mrs. Doubtfire to you, Lars? uh, Broad (laughs) characters, uh, gender confusion, but in a kind of a, you know, homely setting. I I think also, well, I was going to talk about the social value of the film, but um, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think he gets to do his uh, asides, but I think the fact that he's doing drama means he has to rein in some of his more out there stuff. So I think Mm -hmm. it's like like a a semi-normal person with Robin Williams peeking out through the cracks. Okay. Anything else here? I mean, you know, I asked this question because I assumed the answers were going to be Mrs. Doubtfire, the birdcage, right? Okay, there's the birdcage. And I can acknowledge he's this titan of comedy, and I think deservedly so. I mean, you know, you can't really argue with the results, I don't think, or at least not well. But it's tri- it was tricky for me to identify a film of his that I found funny. It's more that I can acknowledge and see that they are things that contain the elements of comedy. Right? <laughs> um, to me, a lot of his work is sort of like a summer blockbuster. It's not really a thing itself. It's a manifestation of a form. right? Um, so they're not really, to me, all that funny so much as overt about their status as things over which you should laugh. I mean, you pointed out some of those things. Gender confusion, right? Um, a lot of riffing. You know, it's like, oh, okay, these are all things that are the elements of comedy. Ergo, I should be laughing at this. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like taking a photo of the most photographed house in the world. Um, to me, there are some similarities between him and someone like Al Pacino, who, you know, is a great actor. But a lot of times you're watching Al Pacino be an actor. Mm. <clears throat> Those two are actually in Insomnia together, which is a pretty good movie. It's actually a good movie, yeah. 
Um, and, you know, he's been in good stuff. I mean, I think The Fisher King has its moments. Uh, Baron Munchausen is actually a really good movie, although it gets dumped on. Uh, Garp was actually really good, too, and early, mm-hmm. um, you know, shows mm-hmm. some of his chops. Um, Popeye? I, I, World's you know, Greatest Dad? It, it's been so long since I've seen him. I'll let that slide. But it's been so long since I've seen Popeye, I don't feel comfortable commenting on it. The Best Fair of enough. Times is a little-known one um, that's actually pretty good. But Kurt Russell's in that, and he carries everything he's in. So mm-hmm. it's tough to say. Um, so, you know, one thing about all those movies, though, is they aren't really funny. <laughs> there aren't really a whole lot of funny parts in them. I mean, as an actor, I think he has chops. And I believe he was a Juilliard-trained actor. Yeah. Um, but as a, a, a comic persona... For me, it's like he's none of my business. You know, it's like a religion. It's this big thing that's important to a lot of people, but I really have no connection to it. It's nothing, you know, for me to meddle with. Uh, so that's my answer, Robin Williams. Uh, R.I.P., but, you know, what are you going to do? He's not safe from us. Yeah, I think that the, um, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I think, I wonder, yeah, why it was, I mean, why he had the aura of comedy. I remember for me, it was a big moment when I watched uh, his Live at the Met comedy special. Did you guys ever see that? I don't think so. It's a nice little compilation of a lot of his stuff. The, um, oh, ballet, uh, men wearing pants so tight you can tell what religion they are. Not bad. Um, or um, what else? Uh, one of the purposes of drinking is to turn your brain into a goddamn etch-a-sketch. Uh, if you're drinking too hard, you just kind of... Um, I think that for somebody who was able to improvise so much, even if it was only okay or slightly better than okay, I think that that energy, which I think we later found out was mostly fueled by cocaine, is like pretty. There's something to that, but it's yeah, it's yeah, I don't I don't think it transferred to celluloid. He was to go back to the Alex Baldwin. He was also just he seemed to be funny around stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like his you know when he would promote movies and be on talk shows and stuff. Yeah. I think that's actually where a lot of the sense of him came from for most people. Well, I also wonder if perhaps, um, you know, I'm older than the two of you, but that we may have missed that crest in the sense of potentially, you know, he set the zeitgeist to a degree where, as with a lot of foundational things, you go back and you say, well, this isn't all that good, but you don't realize that you're saying that from a perspective that has been controlled by it, you know? Yeah. So, of course, when you go back and look at it, you say, oh, this isn't groundbreaking, but it's because you live in the world it created. I mean, I don't know. But honestly, in looking at his material, I was like, ah, there's there's very few things here that I would let, sit down and laugh at. Right. Mm. I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, I'm reminded of this um, episode of All Songs Considered, where the NPR host took a really condescending attitude toward the 80s, and it was just, you know... Uh, you know, Starship sucks, uh, Foreigner sucks. <laughs> it was just like one after another. And he was saying, you know, as an electronic musician myself, I'm really embarrassed at all these overuses. But in the eight, I mean, you never think of your era as part of an arc. You think of your era as the end of history. So if everyone is using sound machines and everything's synthed out, they thought, oh yeah, that's how this is going to be moving forward, right? I mean, this is basically kind of the obverse of what you were saying, Jeremy. And I think that the same is true for comedy in the 90s with Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. They were so over the top, it, you know, it really nailed a certain type of zeitgeist, which now, yeah, I don't think that we're really privy to. But I think that, I I don't know about you guys, but I do think I'll probably always have a soft spot in my heart for the genie character in Aladdin, because I do think that he was edited well. And he brought an energy to that film and that role that was pretty, pretty great. Ah, voice work. Yeah. The last salvation of a scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-huh. I think actually, I think Jumanji is the last uh, thing for a scoundrel. What was that? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, I had that. Uh, well, those listeners at home, that's moments before he swills something out of a dark bottle. <clears throat> I can go back to eating soup. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> uh, well, I think I've talked myself into it. Let's go dig up his corpse. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's the uh, that puts a bow on the two minute win it round. Uh, oh, I wanted to go back real quick. Uh, the one another additionally funny thing about Alec Baldwin is his current wife's first name is Hilaria. Huh. <laughs> I don't know if that counts. It sounds like hilarious. Oh yeah, no, I I got the joke. Well, that counts. Yeah. Okay, you okay. turn me around. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, before we move forward into our. Um, our speed round. Um, you know, we, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus just because, oh, life and drama. Um, but uh, I did want to, uh, you know, do do a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, as I'm sure you guys know, our theme song is uh, the uh, time-honored classic, uh, That Moaning Trombone, uh, recorded by Jim Europe's 369th Infantry Hellfighters Band. Mm-hmm. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were they were great. Uh, Jim Europe, of course, uh, was tragically murdered not long after that was recorded by right. a guy in his own band. Wow. Well, they were they were about to go electronic and they just couldn't let it happen. Right. Ask not for whom the trombone moans. Um, but that brings me to uh, my point here, which is I think maybe we we might want to zhuzh up our uh, our theme song a little Ooh. bit here. So. Mm. Uh, part of the the, uh, the break period, I spent uh, you know putting out some feelers. I got a small uh, uh, grant to uh, uh, solicit some uh, some applications. You know, I put out a, a Kickstarter and a Patreon and a few other things I, I don't really understand. Um, so I've got a few uh, uh, potential new theme songs that I thought we could maybe uh, Ah, whiteboard a little bit here. This is juicy. Fantastic. Um, So this first one, now this is going to be a bit of a change, you know, from our current direction. Um, (laughs) It it builds the track, I think, sort of um, like EDM understood through trap music, but it still offers some traditional instrumentation and a 4-4 signature, so I think it has a lot of bounce. Um, So let's go ahead and take a listen to this one. I am not sure about that one. Okay, what has to change on our podcast for that to be our theme song? I don't think anything. I mean, I think it's got a nice, a nice bounce to it. I mean, I think it's that's that's true. All true. Yeah. Um, that one, uh, just for classification's sake, that was Etude Number Four. That's um, that comes from the <laughs> Neptunes and a couple of members of the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she doesn't have. She lost her cherry, but that's no sin. She still has the box the cherry came in. I think that that would change the timbre. Of well, what, what are you? What, what are you discussing there, Lars? That's those additional lyrics uh, from this Etude. Um. No, that's not on the lyric sheet I got. Um, <laughs> what's, that, what's on what's on the lyric sheet you yeah, got? Yeah, yeah, um, you offer let's see, it says, um, "She's my cherry pie. Acid in the face, such a nice surprise. <laughs> it's so good, makes a grown man cry. Come down your thigh." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
not the acid, but the. You know, I think that part came from one of the Oak Ridge boys. Although, oh, it, uh, in it has the original, their feel all over it. Just yeah. a description. It wasn't even a lyric. Notorious, notor- notorious thigh covers. Stage direction. The uh, first draft of that went, uh, giddy up, acid in the face, it's an ow, ow. My face is on fire. You know, from the acid. Yeah, right, right. No, no, yeah. We follow. <laughs> Well, anyway, okay. that sounds like a hard maybe. Um, so <laughs> take a listen to another one here. Um, and this one, honestly, that first one's a bit of a stretch. This one might be more up our alley. Um, it's kind of complex, I think, because it's got the feel of drill rap, but you know, with more of a chopped and screwed tempo and some of the percussive loops of New Jack Swing. Um, so let's go ahead and take a listen to this one. Okay. <laughs> 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 what would have to change about our show for yeah. that to be our theme song? More, more kind of linguist. <laughs> Wait, what? Will you say that last word again? Kind of linguist. I said it wrong. Yeah, you did. Well, I do it wrong too. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good one too. That one, um, let's see, that's rambunctious, <laughs> featuring Sia and Timberland. Now, I'm gonna have to be honest with you for a minute. We couldn't get Timberland, uh, so we had to settle for his low-cost knockoff, which, oddly, in this case, is the name brand. Listen, Jeremy, I have to stop you. This that was clearly the same song, as the yeah. first song, "Cherry Pie" by I believe Warrant. And if I'm correct, some of the lyrics go like this. Place cherries in medium saucepan and place over heat. Oh, sorry, this is a cherry pie recipe. Um, anyway, I'll find the lyrics in a second. But I don't. I don't. I think they're lying to us. Well, I'll admit there's some, you know, minor similarity, but really, you got to understand. There's only so many ways you can say "baby" and "I love you." Jeremy. No, I mean the lyrics here are totally different. Let's see. Um, this comes from Sia directly, I think, and it goes. She's a horny bi. She's got both sets and they're side by side. Tastes so good, make a deaf man blind. Eating cherry pie. Very glad to know that they're being conflated with hermaphrodites. I'm a hermaphrodite. So you're bi. No, that's not what I said. I said I'm a hermaphrodite. Side by side. It does rhyme. I'm going to be frank. I'm a little disappointed so far. Um, These were not cheap endeavors. (laughs) Right. Who who gave me the grant, by the way? Oh, National Institute for the Humanities. Well, we've got one last one we can try. Um, The National Institutes of Mental Health. I think this one. Okay. This one. It's our last shot, okay? Listen with an open mind. It does go in a different direction. It really has more of a world music kind of feel, but I do think it captions a certain angle that could work for us, okay? So let's let's take a listen to this one. Yeah. I don't Have we talked about this? Who was he talking to? Is this this, is that George Michael? Uh, yes, that was Father Figure by George Michael. It's it's on the Faith album. We got it. We got it. Yeah, 
I mean, this, 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 I like this because it's new, but it also picks up some threads that have been in the podcast before. I mean, this is, this has a tender confessions vibe. Yeah, it also has a serious, uh, um, pederast vibe. Yeah, it really does. Well, so the, the, uh, okay, so there's, but I, there's something I don't like about, uh, that song. I mean, here's, here's a lyric from that song, right? So I mixed up the batter and she licked the beater. I scream, you scream, we all scream for her. So that yeah, that's that's right, and I, I think that brings a certain something that um, you know millennials are going to uh, be attracted to. I don't these goddamn millennials. I just can't talk enough about how how much they confuse and surprise me. Do hipsters like it? Mm, nope. Who's the most hipster among us? Good God! Ooh, that's a good question. And we all have aspects, right? Has the yeah. speed round started? <laughs> yeah, Ryan's not here, so let's just pick Ryan. By yeah, the way, is Ryan. Ryan still dead? He's dead again. Okay, I think he had, he had issues with the late un, uh, unpleasantness. <laughs> yeah, I think he died in the Bermuda Triangle, I believe. That's right. He was he was off looking for Amelia Earhart's bones with Clive Gussler. <laughs> lucky, lucky stiff. <laughs> he was he was tasered to death by Gussler himself. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. uh, that's all I've got. I feel like maybe. Maybe rambunctious, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, but, say... is, that the, is that the third one? Uh, sure, why not? We'll, we'll workshop this, but uh, um, right now we're probably out Can of time. Can we do some mashups? The second and third sounded very similar to me, so I'd say either one of those. Yeah, it's a coin flip. Yeah, I'm happy with two or three. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, let's go ahead and move on to the speed round. Speed round. Uh, in this portion of our whatever... Um, we're all going to respond in an impromptu way to some randomly determined uh, stems here. Looks like our first one in the spinomatic um, is ways that Lars's cats will try to kill him. Ways that Lars's cats will try to kill him. I mean, cat scratch fever probably will be their first shot. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. They they keep uh, they keep like miming like they're eating their litter and then like pointing at me like yeah you should try it so that's uh-huh. a pretty, pretty uh-huh. good I don't think I'm supposed to eat it but I'm more tempted day by day yeah. covering you in catnip and then just going to town mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'd be like one of those uh, naked sushi models yep no, uh-huh. I, I, I'm sorry, guys, but I think you're you're not thinking like a cat here. What they're going to do is stuff a bone down your throat and then pin it on the dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have a dog, but that's a sort of just an incidental. Well, perfect crime then. <laughs> what dog snuck in here? All the doors were locked from the inside. Yeah, and there's a puddle on the floor. Giving you avian bird flu? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, all these germ farms. Well, because they, they catch the birds with their claws That's and right. stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, they're indoor cats, you know, so this would be a real, real Poirot mystery. Do you have avian flu uh, uh, birds in your house? You know what? We have, like, a bat, but he's been in here since 2010. But really, it's his house. If we are. We're living with my uncle, who's a bat. So, yeah, I mean... Make sure he doesn't bite you. Otherwise, you will... Uh... You'll, you'll you'll do that Nick Cage thing. We have very high ceilings, and he tends to stay to himself. Uh, it's really not so much the murder you have to worry about, it's the disposal. Mm-hmm, 
Yeah, that would be. You mean, you mean for the cats? You the cats are going to have the biggest problem with the disposal. <laughs> I'm or, speaking. To, I'm speaking to the cats directly now. This has just become a cat's tip. Lars, please the, un- unplug your headphones. We have a message for the cats. Disposal. Disposal assumes that the cats are not the agents. You know, they're they're, they're merely the agents, but not the uh, you know, not the raison d'etre. No, what is, is that? Your wife will come home, and your entrails will be delicately laid out on the front porch. <laughs> Look what I found. And Aren't you proud of me? Body. I guess we don't really even need to plumb the depths of why they would want to do this. I mean, you know, they're no that that much is obvious. Blanket killing machines. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I have yes. uh, spoken uh, positively about a lot of birds in their presence, so they might just be driven mad by envy. Mm-hmm. How many cats are there, Lars? Two. Dose. Is Alec Baldwin in all this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like he could voice one of them or something. <clears throat> the cats actually have his his powers from the movie The Shadow. <laughs> to be like mostly feckless and then yeah. at the end be able to control slivers of glass. Control really, they really made a yep. hard move toward, uh, you know, what is it, from, from uh, telepathy to, uh, oh, what's the one where you can actually move stuff? Telekinesis. Yeah, they made a real. Did you ask that in the right place? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, telekinesis. (laughs) We were racing to get that out. (laughs) I know. One meow only. (laughs) Oh God, is this what it's come to? All right. So our second stem is the plot of the Entourage movie sequel. (laughs) A lot of questions. A lot of questions. (laughs) What questions were raised by the first one? Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking more along the lines of there was an Entron movie, movie question mark. <laughs> There's a, a presumed sequel question mark. Yeah. Okay, so so E. Wright, who's a writer-producer, right? I think he could be sure. tasked with writing a sequel, right, topical. Uh-huh. And then maybe he has a twin brother. Marky Mark? Also, uh, wait, what? what? I think they'll get Donnie Wahlberg in it. Are they identical twins? Are you, fili- are you filibustering my response? This is punch up. <laughs> this is live Uh-oh. punch up before it even comes out of my mouth. <laughs> we already know where you're not going with this. Yeah, um, adaptation. You know, I, I'm guessing a lot more focus on Turtles' side story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lost is that... that weight. What's happening now? Right. And then there's Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Jeremy Piven. Who's, it, who's, who's in it? <laughs> Jeremy Piven. Yep. Uh, didn't he almost die of heavy metal poisoning, or is that a fever dream? Is that listening to too much heavy metal? Yeah, is that that song we just listened to before? <laughs> you mean Father Figure? Do you mean rare earth metal poisoning? Uh, no, I think this... Um, either I'm making this up or it is true. Uh, he uh, had some kind of issue where he swore off... Um, sushi because he was missing uh some kind of acting performance i believe in a play and if you push me on it i think it would be speed the plow um because he was eating too much sushi and somehow there was too much mercury in his blood i bet he i i bet he was (laughs) right stop eating that sushi no we get it sick fuck the uh yeah yeah jeremy piven defends play departure due to mercury poisoning huh that is not a story i planted Mm-hmm. I heard the Entourage sequel is just going to be a remake of PCU. Why not? Sweet PCU. Simple time, right? We no longer 
Solitarian screw goats for fun. For the sequel, I bet you Fez and the gang are going to try and make it cross country to Leonard Nimoy's funeral. Losing it. Yeah. It's going to be basically. <laughs> now, now, that was, now that was punch up. A <laughs> prequel to Boner Squadron. <laughs> oh, no, it's Squadron. This is very fancy. Is yeah. this, this is for the English market? <laughs> promotions. Yeah. Yeah, the. Um, yeah, pivot. Are the ninjas in that one? Ninjas are in all of them. Boy, our loyal listeners are really going to eat up the callbacks in this in this conversation. <laughs> so rich vein yeah. of calls. And the rest of you who stumbled into this accidentally, go listen to the other god awful hours that preceded this one. <laughs> yeah, the ones where we were warming up to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, go back to listen to some of those unpolished early yeah. episodes. See where we were just practicing. Yep. Yeah. Oh, this is professional phoning it in. Live bitches. This feels like the Entourage movie sequel in a lot of ways. There should be a show yep. about nothing. Yeah. Yep. Zed casting and slamming puss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let me ask this. Um, the main guy from Entourage. Jeremy Piven. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adrian, Adrian Grenadier. <laughs> um, did, was he in anything else? Other than a few seconds in, I think, the movie A.I.? Yeah, he was um he was the the um sort of impotent uh you know implied boyfriend in the Devil Wears Prada. He was uh, trying to get his chef oh, business okay. off the ground, always hanging out in the kitchen in sweatpants. And then I think he did a documentary about himself. Is that accurate? Oh, that sounds right. He also looks Maybe. very much like a, a racist character in the In Betweeners, but I think that's actually a different person. Although I think we can uh, judge him for those sins. Yeah. Yep. Lars, why don't you just go to your database of racist characters? <laughs> yeah, well. I, I, I e that article you're working on right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, your your apologetics you're working on. Oh man. All right. Well, um, let's not even bother to leave La La Wood and uh, stick with it for our third stem here, which is rejected premises for Pixar movies. Oh, boy, who doesn't love a charming Pixar movie? Um, But let's talk about some rejected premises. You know, these are supposed to be improvised, so I hate to even give the peek behind the kimono here, but this is something I thought about for a long time. I'd love to hear it. Okay, get ready. Cars Uh meets planes. Mm -hmm. Car planes. Meets trains. And automobiles. No, just cars and planes. You know what? That's a funny movie that the Steve Martin The best is Pixar films so far. Is this the gender-swapped splash? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Cars meets planes. How many different threads of this conversation are happening at once? Oh, Dane, isn't Dane Cook the voice of the plane in planes? I think there's, uh, you know what? You know what? Yeah. I hate to suggest this, but I think there's more than one plane in planes. Yeah, I mean, he's like the main plane. Main plane. Yeah. Number one on the call sheet for the planes. Giving high five to his friend, the main train. I think it's Dusty. <laughs> is Dusty. the name of the plane? One of the yeah. original name. Dusty Trombone. Dust. <laughs> Dusty Moaning Trombone. This again, <laughs> listeners, are rejected premises of Pixar movies. Oh, are these rejected? Uh, well, yeah, a lizard, a lizard who wants to be a snake um, and so tries to get his legs uh, cut off by a, a paper cutter in an office. Didn't anybody see the That's good funny. dinosaur? What's called called Slither. 
That is good incredible. dinosaur. Is. I really like the good dinosaur. That is incredible. I would love to. I mean, that's the thing. Could human centipede be charming if it was a Pixar film? Right. I suppose. That's Maybe. not what I'm suggesting. Oh I'm suggesting God. a lizard who wants to be a snake. Yeah, but you know what? Not I'm necessarily saying. have its head attached to another no, lizard. That's like asshole. A, yeah. It's like audition for kids. No, yeah, I think that. Not a, not a, not a cock filled Ouroboros. <laughs> <laughs> Or, okay, yeah, but so 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 listen. Is this still what cars if, versus planes? No. <laughs> no, okay. So what about the human centipede made by Pixar? Uh-huh. But they do all of the sort of disturbing stuff at the beginning, and then the rest <laughs> of it is some new adventure, right? It's like up, but the first six minutes yeah, it's up, is the right. human centipede being yeah. created. I mean, what would and then the, the human centipede is like? is made to fly with balloons. <laughs> They're like, what a great life this is. Thank God we went through that other thing. Lars, you know what I think would happen is they would escape from their captor. Okay. They would, on the way, you know, out, uh, separate into their component parts. Okay. But then during their, you know, travels together, yes. discover that they actually prefer being together. Perhaps not yes. surgically, but they just title decide. Title stitched up. Yeah. Could they have powers like the seven Chinese brothers, which I just realized is, is racist? Well, there are Chinese people. That in and of itself is not racist. Oh, by the way, are any any Firefly fans in the room? Do you mean the insect? No, the, <laughs> the, the television show, the short-lived... Well, either way, the answer's no. Yeah, that okay. was the saddest plea I've ever heard in my entire life. No, there's somebody that makes a joke that, despite the fact that throughout the, throughout the episode or the series, the characters intersplice their speech with Chinese... The Chinese language, but there are in fact no no Chinese or any Asian actors in the series at all. Right. Hmm. Oh man, that was really funny what you just said. Yeah. And it relied on our knowledge of Firefly, and that yeah. was even better. That's a that's a perfect needle to thread. Yep, nailed it. Yeah. I wish uh, I could do that thing where I was mean and funny, but it just comes out like I'm mean. Sorry, Jeremy. Well, that was, was funny. No, it wasn't that funny. No, no, I did yeah. ask you. I did get consent, then not get consent, and then I did it anyway. No, listen, I'm oh. going gonna, gonna to call an audible here, and I'm going to go back to the segment last time that was so well-loved about giving nice compliments. You know uh-huh. what, Nathaniel? I apologize for every time I've ever made light of any of your many physical and mental ailments. This is not coming out as positive as I thought it would. No, you... So when have you been making fun of my physical appearance? I don't, I don't recall that. Is that... I love you very much, and I'm sorry for all the times I've made fun okay. of you. All right, so I, I do... think we were at an implied genocide. Again, we're talking about rejected Pixar premises. <laughs> I like... I want to do one that's about furniture. <clears throat> yeah, Fernies. No, like a, upholstered? Um, oh, that's good. Do you mean Beauty and the Beast? How about living room? Oh my god! What? Ab- okay, what about that? But now stay with me on this up idea. I'm, I'm what with if, you. What if it's upholstered furniture? But at the beginning, I don't know if the furniture would sort of be an animate version of the cloth or the skeleton of the chair. Maybe it's just a tree that's been made into this chair. But you see it get like chopped up, you know, sanded, cut in half, stretched over, and it's just kind of instead of like a beautiful overstuffed chair, it just looks like a rictus. You know, just pulled across a wooden, you know, uh, thing, and then mm-hmm. it's just. That really That's probably why this premise was rejected by Pixar. <laughs> yeah. Like too yeah. unhappy right at the beginning. I don't know, man. With Up, I think it's a whole new world. It's just like that opening from Up. 
this question that I had the other day, which is, at what point do the toys in Toy Story gain consciousness? I mentioned this because, you know, when the Buzz Lightyear comes home in the first one, and he gets out of the spaceship, it's as though that's his first moment of life in a lot of ways. Although he has this sort of background knowledge about who he is, it's as though he's sprung into life after exiting the box. When you bought the the contact with the child, like the... The, okay. the the portrait of, of God touching Adam's finger, oh, yeah. right? At the moment when the child opens you from the box. Yeah, although I don't know if he's opened him at that point. Well, I, I, I still I still see what you're saying, you know, engagement with the child. The child has seen the toy because he got it as a birthday present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he leaves it on the bed yeah. to go down and play. Yeah, that's a good uh, I think it's I think it's time to eat, if I'm remembering correctly, but whatever. No. Again, the, um, yeah, no, that's a question premises right well i feel like um well yeah and i mean i'm, I'm wondering if we're kind of uncovering sort of a Westworld aspect of toy story where you know they all have these sort of oh no i have a past i'm a wrestler oh no i'm a i'm a spaceman but they're coming into a community of people who have already been disabused of their backstories right so right. gradually sort of come to become sentient although they aren't disabused of their backstories well he Lightyear is right. I mean, not a flying but toy. They, but but they all still. But he still buys into it, though. Does he? I think that's. Yeah. The, I think that's the thing is that the schism between Lightyear and the rest of them is Lightyear believes he is Buzz Lightyear, whereas Woody is adamant that they are toys. They are not the real. They are mm-hmm. just simulacra. Right. Oh yeah, that's interesting. That, that's well, explicit. So then, and so it's I mean, explicit, <laughs> right? So I mean, with the, with the dinosaur and like Mr. Potato Head, I mean, did they never have a sense of backstory? I mean, are they sort of pure play or free play in that? You know, you wonder if they also had a sort of orientation period. I mean, the I think dinosaur Rex might have come in assuming he's a dinosaur, and then someone told him, "Hold on, there, slick. You are actually yep. just a toy." Although Woody seems to have the most fully realized backstory, coming from like the cartoon, and there's a. Yeah. There's the whole fan community around Woody. Yeah, although he's consciously separate from that. I mean, he knows he is not Woody. He knows he is only a clone of Woody. Mm. He, he makes this clear to Buzz. So you're saying his moon is a remake of Toy Story? <laughs> I'm saying these are all rejected premises of Pixar movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't see the good dinosaur. That seemed to come and go really quickly, unlike the dinosaurs themselves. Did anyone see that? It was good. It was good. Somebody told me that Mona is like the best Disney movie of the last decade, so I'm curious, but that seems like bullshit. Moana. And there's a there's Moana a very uh, the I don't know. very in, intense uh, death scene in the Good Dinosaur. Really? Yeah. Is it the asteroid? No. It that asteroid doesn't hit them. That's the that's the conceit of the film. Is it when somebody who is dressed as Gordon Lightfoot strangles someone else? (laughs) (laughs) If you could read my hands, love, what a tale that they would tell. A homeless drifter got his neck choked and pushed into a wishing well. Is that how you activate the wishing well? Throw a drifter down into it? Yeah, that's, how the wishing well become, that's how the wishing well becomes sentient, is you have to throw a strangled homeless person into it. And I will never be set free because I'm a monster god. Won't you stop me? <laughs> I'd like to point out that my Gordon Lightfoot is flawless. I didn't even it know really I had is. that in there. Yeah. That's really nice. No. 
You God. are every every day something new with you. Yeah. Oh man, what an age! <laughs> the age of the age of Jeremy fart noise. <laughs> all right. Well, so we, we've pretty well covered all of the rejected premises for Pixar movies. Uh-huh. Um, I guess that brings us how about, to how about sentient strippers. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we paused for that. Um, That's well, kind of a thing. What was I talking about? He takes any disruption in the show very seriously. No, I run a tight ship. So I think that brings us to our vote. Oh, God, not another fucking vote. How about tight ship as a premise for Pixar film? Mm. Mm. All right. Yeah, how about just boats? Have mm. they done boats yet? Tight boats. Three. Audible Desert sigh. Passion. Tight, tight boats. Three. Tight boats. Wet moats. <laughs> <laughs> tight boats and the the tightest boats in the wettest moats. So ordinarily, we go in order. You are not allowed to vote for yourself. Lars, why don't you start us off? Great. Um, I think I'm gonna give it to. Uh, oh God, everybody did so great, and not myself. Um. I think I gotta give it to Jeremy. Oh no no no! I'm gonna give it to Nathaniel, obviously. Nathaniel, <laughs> Son of a job. whore! What was that all about? <laughs> Whoa, language! I was language. trying to. Well, you know, it's just kind of. I don't know. It's just sorry. I didn't mean to steal uh, steal your victory from the clutches of defeat. But I realized, Jeremy, there are only a few times I haven't voted for you in the show. I don't know what to do with that. Well, I appreciate I appreciate your pity vote. But in fact, no 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 no. There are layers I mean, no, of pity. I, I really do. I don't care how it happens. I need $4 million for a recount in Minnesota. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nathaniel, why don't you uh, tell us who you voted for? Boy. Um, you know, I'm going to vote for Lars. I like that he took he took the obvious route of Steve Martin, but really but really uh, did something with it. Mm, thanks, buddy. And I like that he ceded his time to us, mm-hmm. so he also gave us a present. Generosity. It's my middle name. That puts me in a tight spot. I was leaning more towards Nathaniel because you <laughs> announced that you were doing Steve Martin well before this was actually chosen. That's that's true. That is a strike in my book. But um, no, I think I am going to uh, skew back toward Lars. Hey, you know, again, the polls tell us nothing. So uh, <laughs> Lars, you're our winner. Why don't you tell us what we're going to be covering next time? Oh, that's excellent. Here, it'll just take me a, a quick moment. There's one that I was especially excited about, and I want to make sure that it's still... Oh, don't worry. I'm going to edit this to make it great. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, okay, so I was excited about this. I don't know. You know, In fact, I think that the simpler premises are often the better ones. But the final thing is this. Uh, which Razzie Award should also have won the Pulitzer Prize? Hmm. Well, mm. That's a pretty intellectual subject. Yep. I'm going to have to look up a few of those things. <clears throat> All of them. All right. Well, that should do it for us. And I mean that in a lot of ways. Um, until next time. Oh, that's right. We never figured out a way to end these. Keep reaching for the stars. Yeah. I'm also going to start choking people uh, <laughs> dressed as a different Canadian. I can't wait for Jeremy's spinoff inside podcast, the choke cast. It's <laughs> just going to be a lot of g- gags that I recorded. Yeah. It's literally every episode's about 10 seconds long, which is about how long it takes for Jeremy to strangle somebody. And finish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, baby.